testing. Oh, good. There you are. Take your Bibles, if you would. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 8 while we get a quick technical change. 1 Samuel chapter 8 is our text for the morning, and I'm very grateful for these who've led us both in music and for Robbie and his transition, because truly, where we are today and this week and next week, I'm going to take two weeks between some series. This was kind of an open gap here. I want to talk just a little bit about where we are really where we are as a nation. So many folks are beginning to talk about, you know, where, where should we go with our support for a president? Robbie, if you can plug, plug that in, I'll put it on, all right? Where should we go in, in response to a president with the election coming up very soon? What's going to happen with our nation based on what we're seeing? And so as we face those things, here's what I want us to talk about today. What do you really want? And if you really got it, would you be happy? You know, at Christmas time, from the time we're children, parents will ask us, what do you want for Christmas? For a birthday, a mate may ask you, what do, what do you want this year for, Christmas, uh, for, for your birthday? In, in life, we may tell somebody, I'll tell you, I'm just tired of this job. Here's what I really want in this. Well, here's what I want from our company. You know, we're free with our opinions, aren't we? But sometimes, too late, we realize if we get what we ask for, we regret what we got. And sometimes we don't realize what we have until we lose it. And then it's too late. We come to the chapter, to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 8, and we find the fact that God has led Israel well. He did everything he promised for them. He brought them out of Egypt. He took them to a land flowing with milk and honey. But the sad thing is Israel did not do what they said they should do. We're going to obey the Lord. They didn't. God said drive out all of those iniquitous tribes, and they didn't. They intermarried with them. They didn't resent them. They began to envy them. Why can't we be like them? Well, why can't we drink like they do and worship idols of sex like they do and carry on with our, with our concubines like they do? Why do we have to be different? And that's where we are in America. We just don't want to really be that righteous nation that's exceptional anymore. And we've proven that. We've, we've fallen from there. Our president apologizes for us throughout the Middle East. And every time he bows, that's you bowing to a foreign power because the president represents the people. And so the sad thing is, as America, we've not only fallen from our place, we now delight in the fact that we don't have to be leaders. We, we can just be on there amongst them. Well, the sad thing is in a vacuum, somebody's going to lead. And if it's not America, somebody is going to lead. And we see several in the Islamic world that say, give me a shot. The sad thing in the days of Samuel is that it was the last, Samuel was the last of the judges. If you remember, the darkest days of Israel were the days of the judges. The Bible says in those days, every man did what was right in his own eyes. How sad. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. I have as much right to do what I do as you do. Don't you dare tell me what to do. And that's where we are today. Who do you think you are foisting your values on me? Well, whose values do you want? truth is you're finding out if America doesn't have Christian values there are plenty of people saying we're going to put our values out there how do you like those and so the sad thing in the days of judges is as long as the judge lived Israel was strong and the judge that God had put in place would deliver them from their enemies but as soon as the judge died they went right back in the same pattern so if you read the book of Judges if you could graph it it looks like this when there was a godly judge the people did well and did what was right and God honored them as soon as he died they went right back into immorality God would raise up another and when they cry please help us he'd send a judge and then it's just like this and we come to 1 Samuel chapter 8 and now the time has changed because formerly in the days of judges, they wait till a judge died. And then they do a morality and say, we're ready for something, something different. But now they're, they're speeding up the process of rebellion. 
And they come to Samuel and say, you're old. <laughs> Anybody here? <laughs> Boy, I am, and I like it. You know, when you get older, you can just say what you want to. People just say, he's old. I like it. <laughs> 30, I had to apologize. Now they just say, God bless him. <laughs> right? That's what you do every Sunday. God bless him. He's just old. He doesn't know better. But you know what? There's something about getting old in our generation that makes you out of date. See, there was a day in most cultures, in fact, still in the East, the cultures revere the patriarchs as men of wisdom. Boy, that's gone. Today, if you're white-haired or have no hair, well, I can't say that. Young people shave their heads. But if your hair's fallen out, then the truth is many people look at you as way out of touch. I want you to see what is going on here in Israel. Look with me because it's a sad verse. Are you sure... I'm going to ask you as a people, are you sure you know what you want? And if you get it, are you going to be happy with the outcome? Look with me in 1 Samuel chapter 8. Samuel's gotten old. That, that's the preface. Now, see now, that very first phrase says things are accelerating. They're not going to wait for him to die. This is the picture of the prodigal son. I want what's mine now. You're living a whole lot longer than I thought. If I wait till you die to get what's mine, I'll be too old to enjoy it. I wish you were dead, but if you're not dead, at least give me what's mine now. That's the spirit. So you come to this man who had served God how long? Since his boyhood. Shemuel is the son of Hannah who prayed, God, if you'll give me a son, I'll dedicate him to your service. And that's exactly what she did from his boyhood. She gave him into the temple to be servant under Eli to learn the rudiments of God's service. And he had served all his life. He got old serving God. And the people said, yeah, we're tired of that. Aren't we? As a nation, we're tired of that. So here's what it says. Samuel grew old and he appointed his sons as judges as he was a judge. So he appointed them as judges. His first son's, uh, first son's name was Joel and the second was Abijah. And they were judges in Beersheba. Now Beersheba, as you know, is the lowest part down in Israel. It used to say in Scripture, it says in place in Scripture that God would do something from Dan, which is way up in the north, to Beersheba. Dan the farthest north, Beersheba the farthest south. Now, remember, Samuel was right there in a little triangular area, Gilgal and, and uh, uh, Ramah, where he lived. And there's a th three little cities where he ministered. But he appointed his sons to go further south and, and rule from Beersheba so that both north and south areas at that time had a person to lead in, in judging the people. The Bible says, verse 3, there was a problem with his sons. Though he appointed them in good faith and had trained them well, some of you and us could say, I, I know this far too painfully and far too well, the sons didn't do what daddy did. The sons didn't walk in the ways of Samuel. The sons turned away toward dishonest gain. The sons took bribes. The sons perverted justice. But when that happened, the elders of the people gathered together and went to see Samuel at Ramah, which was his home. And they said to him, look, you're, you're really getting old, Samuel. Your sons don't follow your example. We need, you to, we need to know who your successor is going to be. Really what we want is a change in government. We're tired of God governing through a judge. We're ready for a king. To, what we need is a monarchy. We have one named God as our king, but we want a change in power. Oh my, sometimes you get chains that you don't believe in, right? 
change for change's sake can wind up worse than you were before you had the change. Give us a king to judge us, he said. You're old. We need a king to, to, to judge us, verse 5. The same as all the other nations. We're, we're tired of being exceptional. We need to apologize to others because we've been a creditor in a nation, seven debtor nation. We need to apologize because we saw off and sent our military to die on foreign soil. We need to apologize because that appears to be imperialism. We need to apologize for all the things we've done and we just need to blend into the woodwork for our latter years and ride off in the sunset is pitiful. And that's where we're headed. We got the change, didn't we? Look what it says, verse 6. Give us a king to judge us. Now notice Samuel, unlike Aaron. Aaron, in the days of Aaron, the people said, we want a golden calf. He said, I'll make you one. God help us. Samuel was a better man than Aaron. They said, give us a king, verse 6. And Samuel considered their demand sinful, so he didn't do what they asked. He prayed to the Lord. I'm not giving you what you want. I'm going to see what God says. That's a good place to begin. Verse 7. And the Lord told Samuel, listen to the people. Now I want you to listen to everything they say. And here's what you need to know as you listen. They're not rejecting you. Now realize if you're the judge over Israel, they say we want a change of leadership, you're taking me on. If you appointed the deacons or talked to the deacons and said, you need to call a meeting, we want a new pastor, that, that would be very personal. But if I've done nothing that's ungodly or immoral or worthy of being dismissed, then what it is, you're not rejecting me necessarily as much as you're rejecting God who placed me here. When a judge is listening and he says, he hears them say, we want somebody different, we want a king, the first impulse would be, well, what's wrong? What have I done wrong? But God said, this isn't about you, Samuel. You've done nothing to, 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 to get this ire raised. What they're tired of is righteousness. What, what they're weary of is godliness. What, they're, what, what they don't want is holiness. They, they don't desire to be holy other. They don't desire to be exceptional. They want to just be like everybody else. When you were a boy or a girl and your mama, you'd go to your mama, why can't I do it? Everybody else is doing it. What'd your mama say? Mine always loves to say, well, if they jump off the bridge, would you? And I did a couple of times. I just didn't tell her. But here's the point. Look. <laughs> they said, give us a king. Consider their demand sinful. So he prayed to the Lord. Verse 7, the Lord told him, listen to the people. Everything they say to you, they've rejected you. They've not rejected you. They've rejected me. They're doing the same thing to you they've done to me since the day I brought them out of Egypt until this very day. What have they done, God? They've abandoned me and worshipped other gods. So listen to them. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to solemnly warn them and tell them about the rights of kings who's going to rule over them. And so Samuel told all the words to the people who are asking for a king. Look at verse 19. And I'm going to just skirt this in a minute. Verses 11 to 18, he lists all the things a king's going to take from you and do to you. And you know, after he listed all the things a king's going to do, you know what they said? That's exactly what we want. He's going to raise your taxes. Hot dog. He's going to, he's going to draft your sons and daughters. Hot dog. He's going to take your lands. Hot dog. Aren't we stupid? We've got, a, we've got a candidate right now saying, we're going to give you more free stuff. Well, who pays for that? 
<laughs> Y'all not listening. April 15th hadn't been that long ago. <laughs> Who's paying for all that free stuff? What's four of you know. Here's what they said. We want all the free stuff. We don't want the responsibility. We want a king. He's going to take everything. Yeah, but it'd be so much better. How's that working out for us? Verse 19, the people heard everything the king's going to do, and they refused to listen to Samuel. You know what they call that? CNN, here's what they That's fear-mongering. Y'all are just fear-mongering. Oh, Okay. So if I tell you socialism will destroy a nation, that makes me a fear monger. Just like if I tell you homosexuality is a sin, I, I'm a homophobe. Welcome to the new world and the change we can believe in. The people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we'll be like all the other nations. Our king will judge us and he'll go out before us and here's the real issue. And if we had a king, we wouldn't have to be responsible. He'd fight all our battles for us. Now pause a minute. I'm not smart. I was in the third grade a long time. But let me ask you a question. If a king sends out forces, where do those forces come from? Where are those forces coming from? Your sons and your daughters. And you know what they're saying? Well, every time there's a war, Samuel says, all right, we need to gather the strong men and we need to go out and fight. Well, if we just had a king, he'd have a standing military. And who's in that military? We don't think very far, do we? You know what our long-range plan is? The end of our nose. Because all I want is lack of responsibility. Let somebody else take that responsibility. I don't want to have to fool with that. Get us a government. They'll take care of it. And you'll pay the price. And Samuel listened to all the people's words and then repeated them to the Lord. In verse 22, listen to them. The Lord said to Samuel, appoint a king. And Samuel told the men of Israel, each of you go back to your own cities. The problem is rebellion is always appears to be progressive. I found it interesting that the liberals in America never call themselves liberal. They call themselves progressive. <laughs> a pig by any other name smells the same when you wallow in the mud my daddy always said don't fight with a pig when you wallow in the mud he likes it the truth is when somebody does not like godliness what they determine to be and to do is I want to be ungodly so leave me alone I don't want to have to be true to God I don't want to have to honor his word I don't want to be righteous I don't want to go to church and that's what church people are saying I don't want to have to read his word I don't want to teach my children the school ought to do that I don't want to be responsible for my teens the church ought to have a program I don't want to witness the laws hire us a staff I don't want to be responsible for economics give me the free stuff and we totally abdicate the very thing that made a nation great and that is very limited authority over us other than the authority of God which is sovereign over us and we will be his people and he shall be our God and it made this nation the strongest in the world for two centuries. But now, now, now we apologize we apologize. I'm so sorry that we dared to be righteous. By our very righteousness, we made you feel guilty. I'm so sorry. 
By our very holiness, we caused you to think maybe your faith wasn't valid. By our saying there is one God and he alone shall rule forever, we might have offended you. And we want to come back in our little salt shakers and we'll sing kumbaya till the, till the end comes. Sometimes you get change. But once you do, you don't want to pay the price. And you can't go back. The righteous expectation of being God's people grew to be burdensome. I read this in one of the commentaries this week. I loved it. They were indeed so much the more exposed to calamity if they provoked God to anger by sin and found they could not transgress. Now listen to this. What really troubled them, listen to this. They could not transgress at so cheap a rate as the other nations could. Which perhaps was the real reason why they decided to stand on the same terms with God as the other nations. What does that say? When they found out if we sin, He punishes us really severely. When they sin, He just turns the other way. You know why? Because they're dead already. When He comes after us and we sin, it's because you're my son. I love you too much to let you get away with that. I'm going to discipline you till you repent and return. I don't like that. I just like to get away with it like they do. Then you want to be spiritually dead. Is that right? And they lined up and said, please. And America's lining up at everything that's every cesspool of sin saying, can we just have that? We don't want, we don't want you. We don't, you, you. You expect too much. We don't want you. God says, okay. All right. All right. Because you're going to see in a minute what happens when we get to that point and then we cry out to God. You're not going to like what we got. Samuel's now old. The inference is, Samuel, you're as good as dead. You don't know what we need. We need to know you're the next man up because truly now that you're old, your sons aren't even doing what you say. And that's the problem with many of us. We reared our children and they reached 18 and said, I don't believe any of that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to walk in God's ways. How many of your children have you come to me and said, Pastor, I'm so burdened for my son or daughter and their grandchildren. They're just not in church. If I asked this morning for you to stand, if that's you, very, very few of you would probably still be seated. The Bible says your sons don't walk with God. We want something more contemporary. Did you ever dream that you'd come to church and have contemporary versus traditional? <laughs> the Bible says, Hero Israel, Lord our God is one, except in singing together. Hero Israel, Lord our God is one, except in the way we dress. Hero is the Lord our God, except in the way we perceive worship. Isn't Satan slick? He's driven, driven a wedge right through the church, and we call that unity. We don't want old. We, we're looking for somebody more trendy. Do you wonder why so many young people don't want to come see this? <laughs> Anybody here think that's trendy? Listen, I don't wear these for looks. I wear them to keep these up. I, all my pants are hip huggers, all of them. These young skinny boys, listen, they'll get, to, they'll get here. They're going to look funny at 70, dancing around in blue jeans. They are. But their time's coming. You know how I know? It's the nature of life. And you know what we say? We want something new. I think it's Solomon. Y'all help me. Solomon lived 3,000 years ago. There's nothing new where? No kidding. 
Sam, you're old. You're really out of touch. You keep saying, thus saith the Lord. We're more into, can you tell us how to be successful? We, we don't really want to thus saith the Lord. That sounds judgmental. You, we need affirmation. T tell us that we really, are, we really have great human potential. That's what we want. Don't, don't mention hell. Don't, don't tell us about punishment. Right? Don't mention the laws of God. Don't, don't mention holiness. Just tell us how to be happy. And boy, the houses are filled. Because those of us that are old are no longer desirable to the nation. The Bible says, Samuel, you're old. How'd you get there from serving God and being faithful to the laws of God and teaching the people? The funny thing is that when Samuel went to God, God said, Samuel, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. Now, how do we turn over just two or three, four pages to 1 Samuel chapter 12? 1 Samuel chapter 12, he really is nearing the point of death. He's about to resign and step aside. 1 Samuel 12, he puts himself out there before the people. He said, I know I'm old, but I want to die with a sense that all my, all my life has been worthwhile before God. So it comes to 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1. And Samuel said, look with me, 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1. Then Samuel said to all Israel, I've carefully listened to everything you said to me, and I placed that king over you that you desired. It was Saul, as you know. But now you can see that the king is leading you, and as for me, I'm old, and I'm gray, and my sons are here with you. I've led you from my youth, because Hannah brought me to Eli early. I've led you from my youth until today. Here I am. Now here's the deal, Israel. Bring charges against me before the Lord and his anointed. Whose ox or donkey have I taken? In other words, I'm about to die. If there's somebody here that can say, Samuel, you did me wrong. Now's the time. I'll make it right. Come forward. Who, whose donkey or ox have I taken? Nobody answered. Whom have I wronged or mistreated? You want to be rid of me? No answer. From whose hand have I taken a bribe to overlook something? No answer. If you'll tell me, I'll return it to you. And you know what the people said? Samuel, we didn't, it's not that we didn't like you. You're, you're a nice man. We just don't want thus saith the Lord anymore. You're, you're a nice man, Samuel. How many people do you know that said, I, I don't, I'd like the church. I just don't want to go there. I, I think preaching's fine. Music's good. I just don't, I just don't, I'm not going to go. Samuel said, listen, they said to Samuel, you haven't wronged us, verse 4. You haven't mistreated us. You haven't taken anything from anyone's hand. They responded, and he said to them, the Lord then is a witness against you and is anointed as a witness today that you have found, found, not found anything in my hand, meaning before God I can die with a pure heart. It's amazing. We fired God. That's what God said, listen, they, they've not turned on you. They want to fire me as God. It's not you as a judge. It's me as king. From the earliest days of Israel, when he brought them out of Egypt, listen, he became their king. When he led them out of Egypt, they said, may you reign forever. He gave them laws. He gave them a land. He, he gave them a leader in Moses. And he was, he was their Lord and king. And they said, may our God reign forever. Who reigns? Kings. They had a king. They had a sovereign king over not just a nation, over the earth and the universe and time and eternity. And they said, yeah, that's too big. We don't, we don't want you. 
We want a face. We want the pomp. We, we can't really have a good parade with, with, our, with our Memorial Day. We can't have a parade because how do you put God in a chariot? So we need a king with his robes and his entourage and his soldiers and, and all those people are cheering. We, we want to look with pomp and circumstance. See, that palace, that's, a, that's our king's palace. We want to be able to see, see those fields. Those are manicured by our king. They forgot the verse that says, you see the earth, it's the Lord's. And the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein, we've forgotten the God who made us. And the penalty is very severe. So the elders came in behalf of the people, just as America has fired God. Have you considered the many ways we've rejected God? It's happening so fast now, the water's boiling. We're that frog in the proverbial kettle. It started so slow, we didn't notice it. Now it's boiling and we're just, we're near to well done and we don't even notice we're in hot water. Abortion rights are now standard. Homosexuality is law. Marriage laws are now expanding. The next trend we're being told in pastor's journal, the next trend is incestual marriage and polygamy. Psychologists are wrestling to say, I don't really think you can have pedophile, pedophilia because a child as early as 10 knows if they enjoy something. Can you see a church being asked to marry a 30-year-old pervert with a 10-year-old little girl? Because it's the law of the land. Welcome to the new America. Homeschooling is being restricted because homeschooling may not teach what the public school curriculum and the NEA has demanded. Churches are more and more being threatened. You better follow homosexual agenda. You're going to lose your tax exemption. Listen, I'm so glad you're debt free. Because sure as you're sitting here and I'm standing here, one of these days that's going to go. And those churches that are deep in debt are going to really have a hard time. I want to thank you for being faithful because soon you'll have to pay our uncle for the privilege of telling the truth to the nation. We live in a generation where hate crime is being extended to pastors who dare hold up the scripture and say adultery is sin. You can't tell me I can't sleep with any woman I choose. No, I didn't tell you. God did. You can't tell me a man can't lie with a man and a woman with a woman because they want to. Dogs are animals. Men are made in the image of God. And the Bible says it's an abomination and he hadn't erased it. So when they come and they say, choose you this day whom you will serve, I pray as a people will say, as for me and my house, we've already decided we will serve the Lord. And the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says the elders came in behalf of the people. It was all the people that were asking. All the people were asking, can, can we please have a different leader? Bible says that when they came that way, what was really they were turning their back on was their history. Can you imagine? I used to wonder how, how in the world did Israel get to the point that they were so sinful that they'd reject God? I don't wonder anymore. When I was a boy and used to have what we call church training, training union on Sunday nights at six, worship at seven. In training union, we used to read parts and our teachers would say, now, boys and girls, we're one generation from becoming a pagan nation. And I'd hear that as a 13-year-old think, well, I guess that's true, but I don't worry about America ever being anything but Christian. Oh my, I wish I'd listened better. 
sadly, when we forget God, we forget our history. Who was it that made the men come together in the 1770s that were smart enough to draw up a constitution that's lasted longer than any living, any uh, government document in history and created a republic second to none? Who put those men together? Do you know the document that's most often quoted in the Constitution and the Bill of Rights uh, and the uh, Declaration? Do you know the document most quoted is Scripture? <laughs> we've forgotten our history and we've forgotten our heritage and we've rejected God's holiness. The sad thing is that when these came, they did not ask for a righteous king. They just said, we want a king. Isn't that bizarre? Turn with me, Deuteronomy 17. Turn, turn just a minute, because I want you to see this. God knows all things, so He knew even in Deuteronomy the day would come when they were going to ask for a king, and He lays out for them what needs to happen when that day comes. He said, sure is the world. This is Deuteronomy. This is the days of Moses. This is hundreds of years before this incident with Samuel. But God knows. So Deuteronomy 17, look with me beginning in verse 14. He makes it clear one day, Moses said, one day you're going to seek for a king. Let me tell you what, that's good, what you need to do. Verse 14 of Deuteronomy 17. Deuteronomy 17, 14. When you enter the land, the Lord your God's giving you, take possession of it, live in it, and say, we want to appoint a king over us like all the other nations. And when that time comes, verse 15 you are to appoint over you the king the Lord your God chooses. Appoint a king from your brothers. Do not set a foreigner over you or one who is not of your people. However, for himself or send the people back to Egypt to acquire many horses. For the Lord has told you, you are never to go back that way again. He must not acquire many wives. Solomon didn't read that, did he? He must not acquire many wives for himself so that his heart won't go astray. Meaning wives will lead you to their religions. Is it hard for you to believe that one day in the, time, in the days of Solomon, the whole side of the Mount of Olives out the eastern gate of what's now the eastern gate of the old city, that whole Mount of Olives would cover with altars to all the gods of Solomon's wives? In Jerusalem... Did you ever dream to see the day we'd have a Muslim, uh, Islamic mosque? Did you ever dream to see the day we'd have a Buddhist, huge Buddhist temple in Tulsa? And you know when these men come from overseas that are missionary helpers and church planting parties, why did America let that happen? How, are you, how would you answer? Look what he says. Verse 17. He must not acquire wives for himself so his heart won't go astray. He must not acquire very large amounts of silver and gold for himself. When he is seated on his royal throne, he is to write a copy of this very instruction for himself. He's, he is to write it. Why? You remember what you wrote. You have that king write this down. He's to read it. Uh, he is to read from it all the days of his life so that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to observe all the words of his instruction, and to do these statutes. Then his heart will not be exalted above his countrymen. The amazing thing is, here he said exactly what they were going to do. And they said, you know what we want? We just want a, a king. We don't, we don't really care about his qualifications. Isn't that what we do? Because politicians tell us what we know, they know we want to hear. We say, I, I, think, I think he'd be good. Well, what's his background? Well, I don't know, but he, he smiles nice and he seems to be truthful. 
you wouldn't hire a person for your company on that credential, would you? Would you? Their moral decay in a nation always precedes economic collapse and national demise. Galatians 6 is still true. Don't be deceived. God's not mocked. For whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. If you sow the wind, you'll of the wind reap a whirlwind. If you sow the flesh, you shall of the flesh reap corruption. Please remember the law of the harvest. You always get what you plant. If you plant righteousness, you reap righteousness. If you plant immorality, you reap immorality. You always get what you plant. Secondly, you always get it later than you planted it. So because we're planting, continue to plant immorality, we think, well, God hadn't judged us yet. I think we're okay. I think we're past it. God's kind of archaic. Wait a minute. The harvest is coming. He's waiting for it to fully ripen. So when he puts in his sickle, he gets it all. You always get what you plant later than you planted. And thirdly, you always get more than what you planted. You plant a little grain of corn, what do you get? You got a stalk with ears of multiple grains of corn. You plant one little tomato seed, you got a vine that gives you tomatoes all summer. When you plant the seed of iniquity, you're going to bear to many generations, third and fourth generation, the sins of the fathers. Keep planting. The harvest is about to come. Sometimes people ask me, well, pastor, do you think we've gone too far? I, I don't know. I know one thing, all the signs are ripe and right for the Lord to say enough. This week we had two major earthquakes in two major cities, Japan and this morning in Ecuador. I read recently, Oklahoma is more set for a major earthquake than California. <laughs> oh my. Our economy is in the pits. We keep printing more money because we don't want to pay, own up and pay out our debt. Is it too late? I don't know. Psalm, eight, Psalm 81, if you want to turn there, fine. Not just listen. The last verse is in Psalm 81. The last verse is, listen to this. My people... Psalm 81, my people do not listen to my voice. They do not obey me. So I gave them over the stubbornness of their heart to walk in their own devices. In verse 13 of Psalm 81, he says, Oh, that my people would listen to me. Only if Israel would walk in my ways, I would quickly subdue their enemies. I'd turn my hand against their adversaries. And those who hate the Lord would pretend obedience to Him. And the time of their punishment would be forever punishing their enemies. And I would feed you with the finest of wheat and from honey from the rock I'd satisfy. What does that mean? God said, if you just repent, I'd restore you so quickly it would astound your enemies. And he said, in fact, the godless in your country would pretend to be godly just because they saw how much better it was to serve God. Even if they were not godly, they'd pretend that's the way it was in America for many years. Not everybody was Christian in America, but the people were unchristian. So, you know, I know how to be there, but really our country's a good country because those principles. And God said, the contrast is, it's so good when God rules that even those who don't know God want to pretend they do because it's so good. And they know the alternative is the punishment of iniquitous is forever. And God said, if you'd come to me, I'd give you the finest grains. Boy, is there anything better than fresh made bread? God said, if you come to me, you won't be scrounging for crumbs out of a garbage can. 
You won't be eating the dregs out of the leftovers. I'll give you the very best of the best. And I'll give you honey from the rock. What does that mean? You ever notice how bees have a way of putting their nest in the most unbelievable places? God said, if you would just trust me, even when you step out and you're shepherding or you're hiking or you're walking, you can look right under the crag of most of the rocks, right under the cliff of most rocks, right under that crack in the rocks. You'd be amazed. Right in there is a beehive and you could just reach out. God's goodness would be so available. We could just reach out and get honey right from the rock. We don't want that though, do we? Is it too late for America? I have no idea. But I'll tell you one thing, it's never too late for one. And there's some ones in here that need to get right with God. I'm old. And I remember when churches used to have two-week revivals. I didn't ever go to one, but my daddy used to preach them. They'd go Sunday to Wednesday, he'd come home, excuse me, Sunday to Friday, he'd come home Saturday, rest, go back Sunday, preach again the following Saturday. And then we cut it down to one week. And then we cut it down to Sunday to Wednesday. And now we pretty well just cut it down. In the early 1900s, there was a man named William Kirkpatrick who led the music for crusades. He's a Methodist. But back then, Methodists and Baptists and Presbyterians all worked together in something called camp meetings. They'd go outside and they'd meet just in open air and they'd sing and then they'd preach and folks would come from all the community be saved. William Kirkpatrick, Kirkpatrick in the turn of the century, the 1900s, had a, had a wonderful young soloist in his choir and every night the soloist would sing, but the minute he finished his solo, when they said, now let's bow for a time of prayer before we preach. And back then they'd pray for the lost specifically and pray for the evening. I mean, get really intense for five to seven minutes before they ever preached. And this young man, Susie sang, would always leave the choir before the prayer and head out the door because he didn't want to be there for the prayer and the sermon. We maybe have some of those now. And so the preacher was very concerned because this young man was so gifted. And so he wrote one particular song and he asked this young man, would you sing this for me on this particular night? And the young man was said, sure, I'd be glad to do that. The young man didn't know what the song was. He just agreed to sing because he loved music. When he once stood up to sing, he sang a song that for many years was sung in the invitations of Baptist churches frequently. He stood up to sing, I've wandered far away from God. Now I'm coming home. The paths of sin too long I've trod, Lord. I'm coming home. I've wasted many a precious year. Now I repent with bitter tears. I'm tired of sin and straying, Lord. I'll trust thy love and believe thy word. Lord, I'm coming home. My soul is sick. My heart is sore. My strength renew. My hope restore. My only hope, my only plea that Jesus died and He died for me. Lord, I'm coming home. I need His cleansing blood, I know. Please, God. Please, God, wash me whiter than the snow. Coming home. Coming home. Never more to roam. Open wide Thine arms of love. Lord, I'm coming home. That night when that young man stood at the microphone to sing his solo, he could barely get through the chorus the last time because tears were running down his face. While the preacher came to preach, the boy moved off the side and the music man went to talk to him. 
He said, son, you seem to be under conviction. He said, I'm terribly burdened. I'm a sinner and I'm going to hell. He says, is that why you left every night before the, before the sermon and before the prayer? He said, yes, sir, I've always loved music, but I didn't know Jesus. I can't take it anymore. Is it too late for America? I don't know. But here's what I do know. To as many as received Him, as many as received him he'll give you the power to become a child of God you sure you know what you want I'd rather have Jesus myself I hope that's your confession stand with me Lord God if ever we've seen a clear blueprint of our nation, we see it in 1 Samuel 8. It's not, it's not church we've rejected, it's God. It, it, it's not a system of righteousness that has laws taken from Scripture, it's God. We, we don't want you. We're, we're tired of you as a people and a nation. Not because you've been unkind to us. Even Samuel said, if you have anything against me, tell me. They said, oh no, you're, you're a nice man. We just don't want your God. Father, please forgive us for being so haughty and arrogant and proud and sinful and rebellious and raucous and raunchy. We are sinners. I beg you to show mercy even this morning. I don't know if it's too late for a nation, but it's never too late for one who'd say, I know that I need Jesus. I'm a sinner. I know that I need Jesus. I can't keep pretending. I don't want to walk out of another service like that young soloist and act like everything's fine. It's not fine. I need Jesus. Father, I pray for that one, two, three, seven, ten in this room that say, I need Jesus. Please help us not to act as if we got tons of time for that last heartbeat was not even guaranteed. And the next one for sure is not. So it may be in the room this morning that those who say, I need to come, bring them now. As we wait before you, I pray you'll bring those who need to come for membership or baptism or a profession of faith or some who are just broken broken for where we find ourselves as a nation. I pray that the altar would be hot with the tears of God's people begging for forgiveness and for you to restore us to the joy of salvation. Deal with us today by your tender hand, but by your mighty arm. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing. You know this song. I invite you right now. Would you come from all over the house? Right now, would you step out from where you are and say, today, I'm going to take Jesus. Will you come right now while we sing? Church, you sing. These are going to be responding. Will you come? Will you come? Man or woman, mom or dad, couple, family, will you come? Sing it together. Sing it. Sing it.
five o'clock is our next lead time. That's the time for all of our church leaders to come together, but certainly I'd be delighted if all of you came. What we're going to talk tonight, talk to you about tonight, some things that are coming up right away that will be involved in reaching people through small groups and evangelism. There's nothing tonight going to be shared that's secret. We're hoping many of you will come with your teacher because at the end of the, what I have to present and, and, and a couple of my staff are going to present, we're going to give you time just to talk about the things we've shared so you can immediately set some directions. So tonight at f- 5 o'clock, we're going to start right at 5. Teachers, you need to be here probably 4.45 to get your packet out front, get to your place. We have signs you can hold up where your class is seated. That way they can find you. We're going to start right at 5 and hopefully be out uh, within an hour and 15 or so, even including the time you discuss, all right? I want to remind you, Rewired is a week from this coming weekend, men, in Falls Creek. If you've not signed up, I think you can do so through Friday. If you've not signed up, please do so, and that way we'll have you there. We also want to, I want to remind you, the 27th, which is a week from Wednesday, Franklin Graham is making his way across all 50 states of the nation this year to lead in a statewide prayer time. You'll be in Oklahoma City on the 27th at, I think, 11.30 or noon. I'll double-check the time, but I know some of you would say, have said, boy, if I could go, I'd like to go if somebody provide transportation. Well, if we have enough people that want to go, we'll take a people mover. So if you're one of those that said, I'd like to go to Franklin Graham, either put that on a blue card and drop that in the, in the box, your name and a phone number, and put on there, right in there, I'd like to go to Franklin Graham, name and a phone number, we'll get in touch with you, or call the church office this week, it's the 27th, and I'm going to be real honest, I think it starts, I think it starts at 11.30, so we'd probably need to leave about 9 to get down there with the crowd, get parked, get to the site, It'd be through probably 12.30, quarter or 1, that late you're probably going to have lunch, and that's another hour, and leave there about 2, 2.15, you get back about 4.15 or 4.30, so you're looking at the day. All right, but if you want to go, you call the office and we'll get you involved. Men's Day. Following Rewired, on two weeks from today, we're going to have a Men's Day at First Baptist Church. Now, that means we're going to talk about men. We'll have testimonies for men. I'll bring a message about men. But one of the things we'd love to do on that day is have that whole choir loft filled with men. There's just something about it when men are all singing together in a choir. So this afternoon at 3.30 is going to be a rehearsal for all of you men to come and be able to rehearse together what you're going to sing two weeks from today on Sunday morning. We would like for you to sound good. It's not mandatory, but it's preferred. So if you're going to, if you're going to sing, please come this afternoon at 3.30 and join in the rehearsal. Will you do that? All right, Todd, come introduce these. Practice makes perfect, they say. We'll find out. Pastor and church family, it's my privilege to introduce Jerry and Deborah Greenwich. They want to become a part of First Baptist Church. Good to see you. 
Y'all turn around here just a minute. Jerry and Deborah, boy, how good it is to welcome you all today. Jerry, I can't think of a bad time to join a church, but today's a great day. And I'm so glad to welcome you and Deborah. We're glad that you've come. You know Christ is your Savior. Is that right? God bless you. We do too. We look forward to serving Him. And I'm so glad you've come to say we want to serve Him alongside you. May God bless you today and in all the days to come that we'll walk with Him in His favor and according to His will. If you rejoice in welcoming Jerry and Deborah, would you say, would you clap? I know that's what you want to do. Just clap. If I ask you to say amen, you'll think I'm still preaching. You clap spontaneously. That's good. Listen, you take time and come speak to these, all right? Small group Bible studies waiting for you. Don't miss it. God bless you. One last announcement. As you exit, look to the right. You'll see Brandon Trenum, our children's pastor. Today, children's camp, kids camp opens up registration. So I want you to take some time. If you got kids or you know kids that need to be a part of it, ask some questions right there at the information area. Just look for a shirt like this. Have a good day.